Hi, I am Chitra. I am Madhvi. I am Jyoti. I am Suchitra. Together, we are your hosts on the Edge Podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing, and design. These are stories of people, technology, and people interacting through technology of what we see, create, and recommend. Memories are the stories that we tell ourselves about the past. Sometimes they adjust and leave things out. Our brains are wired to recognize patterns and connections rather than to remember specific facts or details. Recognition over recall is the phenomenon in which people are more likely to recognize information than to recall it from memory without any prompts or cues. This phenomenon is often seen in the use of search engines such as Google where people are able to easily find information that they are looking for but may not be able to remember it without the help of a search engine. Hello everybody and welcome to the Edge podcast. We are back with another episode in the Rarely Rational series. Today we have our intern Anaga join us to her very first podcast. Hi Anaga. Hey, happy to be here. And as usual, my co-host Madhavi. Hi Madhavi. Hi Jyoti. You know the way the internet has evolved to be what it is today, right? As a millennial, I seem to have forgotten or perhaps I don't even know what it was like before we had this easy access to uh, low-cost media, uh, variety of data and information, right? And in this third series of Rarely Rational, we are talking about cognitive biases that are affecting our memory and recall abilities. Uh, let's delve into experiences where our memory failed us and probably had to rely on the digital world. Oh, I have the perfect story for this. <laughs> Great. Yeah, go ahead. I spent the last weekend in a remote village near Chikmagalur. The whole point of this was a digital detox. No network connectivity, nothing. So we are out exploring the whole place and we meet up with like the local kids and everybody. They are fascinated by our city dwellers, so they take us and we start playing cricket and then it gets dark. Guess what? We don't know how to get back to our homestay. We don't have our phones with us. So there's no Google Maps to guide us back. So there's no way we can call people and say come get us because we are lost what to do where's the dilemma the kids came to our rescue they knew where we had met them and by asking us a few things they were able to locate where exactly our homestay was so they were able to guide us and take us back that was quite a digital detox let's ask our gen z guest what do you think anytime memory failed or like anytime you oh yeah i mean i think i think the most common Example would be autocorrect. Makes you forget the most simple spellings. And I deal with that on a daily basis. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great example of relying on uh, digital or uh, your four devices, right? Yeah. Uh, for simple things as simple as spellings. Yeah, and I mean, the other day I remember, you know, a cab driver, uh, the way he talked about the Google Assistant voice, uh, he called it Google Amma. Like, you know, he has personified the OK Google's voice and called it, uh, let's see where Google Amma takes us 
so uh, you know that shows how pervasive something like this since you said cab it just reminds me you know how we get an otp right like for uber and like ola i think half the times you don't really remember it no matter how many times you look at it so you just keep checking it over and over until you actually get into the auto and yeah i think that's a pretty good example too yeah so this brings us to today's topic uh, we're talking about the google effect right um it's also known as digital amnesia the way psychologists uh, define this is it is a tendency to forget the information that is readily available through search engines like google or, or not just search engines uh, any information that is uh, readily available for us to look up say like we spoke about uh, spellings nowadays otps or phone numbers that we hardly seem to remember now so that is the google effect yeah hey, naga yeah how do you spell amnesia <laughs> oh let <laughs> me just look at my phone <laughs> i think one other place that uh, this google effect is seen is when you are doing speed reading actually speed reading relies on this so you are basically scanning or skimming through the words on a page you're not reading each thing you're not committing it to memory you're just looking for keywords and remembering just the keywords because you know you can go back to that page and look up hmm. the information when you need to so i think that's one place where this google effect works for you yeah i think you know the google effect is mainly how i mean another google effect it's basically about you know you remember you remember the source rather than the information you actually read so yeah yeah this like is one like remember where you actually found the source and how to go about it than actually the information you looked for yeah because in that, that way too, yeah. it's easy to you you're like okay i'll uh, look for it sometime later instead yeah. of actually remembering what it is about yeah so you don't know yeah. how to find it rather than what's on it yeah so. exactly i for one i'm very happy because i have a terrible memory anyway and <laughs> google is actually augmenting my memory <laughs> so this works great for me even if it's not called the google effect the fact that i can go look up things in my phone in a book in a directory whatever that means i don't have to commit this to memory and for someone with a weak memory like me this is a great tool yeah come to think of it i think that's uh, how i do like you know keeping rep- reminders for tasks instead of having like a mental uh, checklist for everything uh definitely helpful for me at least in terms of prioritizing what information that i want to retain or remember instead of keeping it all in uh, memory and later trying to forget at, at least it, in my perspective i feel it's more efficient and definitely makes my life easy so back to school days i studied the igcse syllabus and for us i think under chemistry and math we used to have like the last sheet was basically the periodic table or like you know all these formulas and the igcse students didn't really have that to our advantage like we could just refer to it whenever we wanted right and if you actually ask the two of us i think they remember a lot more of what was on it than we did so i think that's another example yeah that's a great example reminds me of the log books or what is it called logarithmic tables instead of scientific uh, calculators and we had to refer to yeah. uh, oh, yeah. something called the uh, logarithmic tables for say i think high school or college math same thing there's no way we would uh, memorize all those things and already there at the tip of your hands to uh, refer to them right you guys just mentioned that people tend to remember where to find it and like how to yeah. do it but not the actual data in this case i've forgotten how to read log arithmetic tables <laughs> i would have to google that <laughs> yeah you know the lord <laughs> 
I think talking about Google effect, this has definitely impacted the way we learn or problem solve and on recall information that we have, right? So one thing I definitely find or a plus point of Google effect is how I can prioritize the information that I retain or remember, you know, kind of delegated to my device instead of keeping it all in memory. And I definitely find that efficient and faster. So I'd see I'd say that is a plus or a positive of this Google effect. What would you have to say, Madhvi? I think you're absolutely right. Productivity apps are the in thing. There are hmm. so many of them. If you just open your uh, Google Play or your Apple App Store, you will see one zillion of these coming up. And they're trying to solve these tiny little problems. At the end of the day, when you can take things out of your brain and keep your brain focused on a particular task, you become more productive. Rather than having these zillion things uh, churning in your mind. You get into that state of flow or you get into that meditative state where you are in a completely creative zone and you just start churning out good work. Absolutely. I think knowing where to find them and then, you know, synthesize that information is helping you in your critical thinking skills, right? So rather than focusing on committing facts to memory, now you are using your brain power for more things that only humans can do, which cannot be codified. Come up with your original thought, come up with your new creative art, whatever. I think it frees you to do that. Like I mentioned also, I think nowadays we have started to treat the internet like our additional or extended storage for our brain. You know my take on this. It is good, but uh, I'm not sure it's always good for everything. There might be information that you must recall, which you tend to now forget because of the ease with which you can store things externally like the story that I just shared I don't know the directions home I don't know the contact of the host things like that you could land up in some trouble yeah I think depending on these devices, nowadays are at least the talk about uh, mental health and lack of sleep due to increased screen times and probably, yeah, these come under the negative effects of too much of internet, could I say? Yeah. Another thing that companies are at a real risk of is that people tend to store a lot of things on their devices, whether it's their laptop, desktop, phones, whatever. And if you store company data on this, and according to surveys, the majority of the people don't run an antivirus and they don't run uh, backups. So you lose your device. What happens? Companies' sensitive information is lost. This is like top of mind for us because we're doing certain ISO certifications and we are making sure we're checking off all of these boxes and reporting on all of Mm -hmm. them. But it's a real risk for anybody. And even if you're not an employee, even if you lose your phone, where did you lose all your memories? The ones that you, your photos, what's happening to all of them? Yeah, so I think with the information overload that we are faced with, one thing that is uh, important to talk about is our shortening attention spans, especially with the number of results that you get from a simple Google search. You just tend to uh, say pick the top one or two results and you're not really validating whether the information that you have access to is true or not and just pick it and then you know you go with it yeah i think you also get distracted easily with like you know suggested topics and everything oh yeah uh, no that's another uh, whole different topic about <laughs> how ads and everything are just yeah. you know pervasive so much that you are probably no more doing the task that you in the first place even started off (laughs) maybe as a decent graduate you have something to talk about how your experience yeah i mean every time i you know had to research about something i start off with the topic i'm looking for and i think i just pick the next one then the next obviously the suggested topics and i just get distracted and i totally forget what i started off with and that's a total waste of time so do you google it or do you bing it (laughs) (laughs) i google it (laughs) 
right. How many pages do you typically get through? One, two, three? Probably three, four. Okay, so the three or four pages that you get through, the listings on all of those, that means the websites that show up in that have done great SEO. Oh, right? yeah. So they did a great job of their digital marketing, great job on maybe doing up their website and then spending money to get it shown in all the right places, whatnot. But you don't know how common that information is. You're open to that. So you're basically setting yourself up for a little bit of decision fatigue as well because you don't know how pervasive is this data. It could just be happening with 1% of the people but because it showed up top, you tend to think, oh, this is the true with the majority of people. This is what happens with WebMD. The first thing people get is they look at the symptoms, they uh, search it, and typically they end up on a site like WebMD. And then they're like, here's the thing that pops up first. They are quite convinced when they show up at the doctor saying that this is exactly what I have. Whereas that symptom could just be for a minority of the people. WebMD in being an encyclopedia is listing them all. So you're opening yourself up to this. And this is a huge frustration for all doctors. Mm. Oh, I think another term that I came across is something called the filter bubble. I remember talking briefly about this in another episode called the confirmation bias. I think when we're talking about how uh, Google results uh, show up these days. This term filter bubble uh, refers to the results of the algorithms that dictate what we encounter online. And because of this filter bubble, uh, it almost gives rise to another bias where uh, you know it kind of creates an echo chamber for yourself when most of the results that you're seeing aligns to your uh, opinions or your perspective your ideas so it's also deemed to be something uh, not very desirable or almost even dangerous nowadays by psychologists because of especially the polarized opinions you see nowadays in uh, news and you know term called filter bubble is also giving uh, or adding to that kind of uh, environment yeah you're right all of us are living in our own little echo chambers and with the way digital advertising is done, the way the whole thing is structured, our echo chambers are getting narrower and narrower per day. The number of uh, different views that we are seeing is reducing and that's not just on social media websites, it's happening on Google as well. Right? The people with in power, the people with the best SEO or the best amount of funds at, dis- at their disposal, these are the guys who are ranking topmost. So they are influencing our thought as well because we have handed over a lot of our thinking to a machine and that machine or in this case the service is run by a corporation which is a for-profit corporation. So I think then companies are doing a great job in using this to their advantage. You've spoken extensively about SEO and how brands are using our vulnerability to seek information on Google for every little thing. We see the Google effect at play even in our workplace where Mm. we think that we do not have the responsibility of remembering or retaining all the information that was shared with us. We have heard about groupthink, but there's also this group data storage. So I tend to remember the kind of things that I can relate to and I hope that you guys, my teammates, have remembered some of that. And within our group, we have this knowledge. In most cases, that is fine. But the problem comes when you need to scale up this team. Because now this knowledge is fragmented and in our minds, but there's no codified way of transmitting it to the new employees. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, now that uh, I think of it, I think uh, um, this is what would happen in meetings. And... um, Someone who's probably taking down the minutes of the meeting is expected to know everything (laughs) or at least um, is believed to have listened, you know, like 
listening is different from just hearing. But incidentally, studies say that person who is sitting and typing down the notes remembers the least because they are like, I'm anyway capturing it. But they've ended up capturing only a small subset of what just happened because they're doing uh, multi-processing, right? Listening and typing and making sure their type stuff makes sense. So they do end up capturing a partial information. This partial information is what gets uh, shared as the meeting notes. Everybody else in the meeting may just be like, anyway, we're getting the meeting notes, so why bother? <laughs> so even that is not a reliable way of completely transmitting the full information. Wow, so I think um, Zoom recordings are the best for this then. <laughs> Absolutely, let's do more video recordings. <laughs> Um, so since our podcast talks about how any of these cognitive biases affects uh, UX or UI or marketing and learning, uh, I came across these 10 general principles of usability heuristics for interaction design. And in, uh, one of them is about how recognition over recall is promoted in uh, designing user interfaces. So that relies on how you force the user to recognize something rather than actually remember something from his memory and go about a task. So I think uh, one example which Anaga came up earlier is perfect for this is the autocorrect. You know, you're not forcing the user to remember a spelling, right? You can just uh, type whatever and, you know, there's autocorrect to kind of help you recognize the, uh, the right spelling and you can go ahead with it. Right. So you retain the ability to distinguish between right and wrong without knowing the exact right thing. So when you have those multiple choices, you know which is the correct one. Exactly. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I think when it comes to learning, convenience plays a big role. Like the fact that your answers like just a tap away encourages you to you know google more or like learn more and considering the internet is a trusted source it boosts your confidence in in the knowledge you're gaining do you find it helpful that when a question pops up in your mind you can just go find the answer right there yeah i mean the internet, ha the internet has the answers to everything right so do you find yourself going down rabbit holes though just searching what next what next yes definitely <laughs> but then again i think everything has its own pros and cons that's great i'm really happy that it really works for you another place where I find this Google effect super helpful is in the design of IDEs, these integrated development environments that all of us programmers use. It's, it's really hard for anybody, or at least me, to remember all of the types of functions that exist out there. But when I'm programming, if the IDE starts suggesting different things, or even if I remember the function name, I may not remember the order in which I need to give the arguments. And this is where the IDE is very helpful. It suggests that here's the order of things, these are the data types you need to use. I think that's fantastic design. And I really love that this is a positive example of the Google effect. Oh, definitely. I think that's why the concept of promoting recognition over recall even exists as uh, one of the main, you know, usability heuristic for any um, product or an app, right? So we've discussed both pros and cons, and there are some places where we love this and some places where we don't. But do you think there's a need for us to overcome this bias and what do we do then? Okay, when you say overcome, uh, maybe in situations where we find ourselves in trouble, like you, you know, earlier gave your uh, experience about remembering a phone number or some important information like that, we should definitely find a way to handle such situations. We can obviously not always rely on another device or internet for any kind of easy uh, access of information. So... In those cases, we should definitely have, you know, a backup for ourselves. Yeah, offline tools to back you up in these cases. 
like when your projector fails and you cannot <laughs> present your slides anymore, you better know your content so you can have a chat with the people in your audience or maybe use uh, a flip chart or maybe use a whiteboard to present concepts and continue your meeting and not be entirely reliant on technology. I think the way to overcome this bias is by using any of the memorization techniques. So you can use any of the standard ones, chunking, etc. Or you can create a story around the key elements that you need to remember. Because people tend to, re people tend to remember stories a lot longer. Yeah. Stories retain information and it's a good tool to pass on information over generations when we didn't have writing or any other way of recording this. So create a story around what just happened or like remember the incident where this happened, that will help you recall better. Recall the emotion or create a song or cook up something that will re you will remember. One way I go about it is you know, the photographic memory. I think I have a good enough one and I just remember it based on the visual I saw and that does help to an extent. Awesome, so basically you're making more connections to it than just the auditory yeah. or just the visual. Yeah, awesome. I think that these are great ways to uh, look to other sources of information gathering instead of just straight away uh, every time going to the internet and uh, look up for uh, information, right? So definitely when we're talking about overcoming a bias, I think the, the first thing that like we spoke about is to maybe improve our memory retention techniques. So now that we've spoken about Google effect, the way we've been using Google for every little thing that we want to search, Google has become an official verb and is uh, also part of the Oxford English Dictionary now. Yeah, we definitely don't Bing it or Yahoo it. <laughs> yeah, wait, what does Cisco stand for? I should know, I did an internship there. But I'm sorry to admit, I don't recall. Let's Google it. <laughs> what does it stand for though? <laughs> Let me Google it. <laughs> um, it stands for Computer Information System Company. Today I learned. <laughs> Again. <laughs> So did you know there is a term called neologism to coin new words like these? In another episode, we've spoken about FOMO, which is also a new word, or something like mansplain, or you know, hangry, and you know now Google. So we spoke a lot about Googling and looking up things on Google. Do you know what is the most frequently searched term on Google? I'll Google it again. <laughs> I'll tell you that you will find YouTube, which is yet another search engine. Oh, okay. Wait, what if Google doesn't give you results? I found that there is a term for it. It is called anti-Google whackblats. Say that again. Words that do not produce any Google search results are known as anti-Google whackblats. I'm hoping I'm just pronouncing it right but in fact there is something called a Google VAC which is a contest to find a Google search query that returns a single result. Subscribe to the Edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel. We are on Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and more. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. If you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast, write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com.